Grow Great is a city government leadership podcast with Lisa Norris and me, Randy Cantrell. Each week we share insights, experiences, and wisdom to help you and your leadership grow great. Our website is growgreat.com. Don't bring it to work. It's a common refrain. We hear leaders say it, bosses, I will say, say it all the time. You know, just don't just leave it at the door. It never happens. It's impossible. And it's, it's, it's a foolish ask of employees. You know, recently at a conference that, uh, that Lisa and I went to just in the hallway, some of the conversations that happen. And we, I, I don't know these people, but if we take it on first, first blush, people expressing frustration over wanting to excel, wanting to, to do good work, but just, just not feeling like they're in a garden where they can grow for, for whatever reason. So all of this kind of bubbled to the surface. Lisa's father, who had suffered Alzheimer's for about a decade, fairly severely for the last two to three years, and had been in a facility that specialized in treatment of those kind of folks. Uh, he suffered a stroke. Uh, he ended up in hospice and subsequently passed away. And so Lisa has been dealing with this for a number of weeks. She has an aging mother who's also suffered a fall. And so Lisa has been taking care of her. So needless to say, a lot of turmoil, a, a lot of suffering. And uh, Cheryl is with us. Cheryl is Lisa's boss and Lisa's her direct report. And so thought it'd be wise to have a conversation to just kind of come at this whole, this personal struggle. And I will preface it by saying that we're, we're dealing with high performers. If you are a person and you view yourself as a victim and everything is everybody else's fault and you aren't excelling at your work, this conversation doesn't apply to you. <laughs> I'll just be bold. Um, you have got to be performing, you know, at, at your very best. Um, Grand Prairie is a place I'll, I'll just give my outside perspective and then I'll kind of turn the mic over to Lisa. Grand Prairie is a place that, uh, from my knowledge with Tom Hart that I've kind of called the OG of the culture there, um, superior customer service, high performance among leaders, high performance among all team members, <clears throat> excuse me, a high expectation of performance. But at the same time, I would describe what I know of him and the culture, a culture of grace, a culture of compassion, and yet a culture of high expectation and high accountability. And those are all terribly congruent. And so, you know, with that background, I don't know, Lisa, you were in it. So kind of take this conversation wherever you're comfortable taking it. Well, I thought it'd be important. You know, we talk about, we've, we've done so much on just our leadership recipe and leading with humility and curiosity and knowledge uh, and understanding. And then finally, compassion. And really, I think this is an example of of how to lead well with compassion. Um, and I, I kind of want to 
emphasize that today because it's important to hear it in action versus what you just hear us talking about it and how to apply it. But but our audience can really take a look at what they're experiencing and where they're empowered to potentially maybe hear this and change one thing, change something that they're doing or hopefully make an impact and influence on how they lead not only their team, but it, you know, we have city managers, city attorneys, HR directors listening. Uh, I think we've got upwards of 800 to a thousand listeners now after a year and a half. So for, for me on this, Randy, um, you know, I've been dealing with um, taking care of my mom. I'm the medical power attorney for both my mom and dad. Of course, we got mowing going outside my window. <laughs> but um, I've been taking care of them. And Cheryl knows this uh, long for a long time. My dad's had Alzheimer's, went into the home in the peak of COVID in the, uh, I believe it was December of 20. Um, right after that, my mom got COVID and was hospitalized and incapacitated completely, couldn't move for five, about five months in the hospital and had to learn how to eat again, walk again. I mean, she was very close to death. Um, and, and we've dealt with that ongoing with her, you know, my dad went into the facility for Alzheimer's didn't in the last two years, didn't really know who we were, but kind, compassionate. Other than that, he's had no issues. In fact, Don and I, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, had said he's going to outlive us all because he just didn't have anything. He walked around. He's a happy soul, a kind soul. We, I'd go in every day uh, that I visit him with mom, and he's like, "Who are you?" And I'm like, "You're, I'm your daughter. Watch it, dad." <laughs> you know, <laughs> and 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 we would talk and and laugh, and he's like, "Why do I get so many beautiful people in my life?" And I was like, "I don't know, but it's amazing, huh?" <laughs> you know, but it's that kind. He just was. He didn't know us, but it's this kind soul with no other ailments. But on my mom, on the other hand. And this is what led up to all of this. She's had long haul COVID. She's had respiratory issues, heart attack, mini stroke in February of 23 that I had to go get her from Nebraska. Shingles, flu. I mean, she's just, her immune system is shot. She gets everything and gets it horrible where it takes her down. So Cheryl knew it's been an emotional roller coaster for me trying to manage both of these and do a great job for Cheryl, for the city and for my team right? Uh, All of these components, when you talk about needing to leave it at the door, it is impossible because life is life. It doesn't matter whether life is work or life is home. It's life and it intermingles with one another. You cannot stop one or the other. And if something good happens at work, typically it's good at home. You know, you're celebrating that. If something bad happens at work, it's impacting you and it impacts your house and vice versa. So when I've had all these struggles bringing us up to current, talk about a compassionate leader and a compassionate team, the effort I've put into my team to recognize their struggles at home, it comes 360 degrees. They give it back to me. They support me through an absence. They support me while I'm out. And Cheryl has done the same thing. Um, My greatest struggle is the accountability. I want to be here and know that I'm doing a good job for Cheryl, regardless of what's going on. And thank goodness I'll have Cheryl speak to that. She is watching out for my mental health and my well-being when sometimes I can't watch for it myself because I'm trying to be the strength for everybody. And I'm, I'm, I've depleted myself. And so being a leader of compassion, um, I try to do that for my team and 
And she in turn is doing it for me when sometimes I can't see it. So that to fast forward to current where I'm thinking it's going to be my mom, something happening. I'm heading to Oklahoma to our new house that we just built and got finished. And this was on, I think, August 31st. I'm heading up there. I go up there every Friday. Uh, this this was a long weekend because it was a holiday weekend. Driving to get on 75, for those of you, Central Expressway, heading up to Durant. Get a call from my mom that dad's fallen and has broken his leg. Okay, that was the original call. I'm fine. Uh, okay, mom, just keep me updated when he has surgery, if they're going to reset it. Ten minutes later, I get a call. Never mind. She's hysterical. She said he's had a major stroke. There's, uh, He's got a blood clot, and they're taking him to surgery immediately. And the doctor says, we need to make a big decision in the next 10 minutes. And she cannot make a decision. I mean, she. I said, I'm turning around. I'll be there. I call Cheryl, I believe, mm-hmm. told her what's going on, said, I don't know anything else except that he's had a stroke. I'll keep you updated. Fast forward to... They fixed the stroke. They're giving hope that in the next 90 days, blah, blah, blah. Well, 48 hours passes and he goes from mumbling and singing uh, to the phone to nothing. I mean, he his body is basically shut down and trying to get my mom. I'm quickly realizing at this point, this is the end. Uh, I did come back to work, I think, Cheryl, that next week through Wednesday, because I said, let's just wait and see. Every day I was with them uh, after work talking with mom. He's not improving. Uh, By, uh, I think, Wednesday of that week at the director's meeting, I let the directors know, I think I'm at an end of life with my dad. We have a new city manager at this point. So Bill Hills is now city manager. He's briefing us at a director's meeting in a different way. He's like, I just want to talk what's going on in your world. Uh, So he's he's leading differently than we've experienced. And he kind of opened the floor. And so I opened up uh, interpersonal, you know, uh, sharing my personal life with this director's team of about, I don't know, Cheryl, 25 people. Right. So I tell them what's going on, um, which we usually don't do in those meetings in the past. It's been very mm-hmm. formal. It's agenda related. It's what's going on. It's the city manager in the past kind of, you know, telling us what we got coming up for the week, what's going on with council. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very formal. This has changed. This is a shift. Um, was so this Bill's through, first director meeting? I think it was Cheryl. Is that right? Cause one he came of, on. One of the first ones. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I say it's into life. Um, Cheryl is holding it together like a champ because she and I are also friends. Uh, I would say reasonably. Mm-hmm. And, very um, much so. very much yes, so. <laughs> we are definitely friends outside of business relationship. Um, so I'm crying, kind of crying in the meeting, trying to fight the tears back. Uh, directors are compassionate. We've got another director, a good friend of mine who just lost her mother. Um, so, you know, everybody understands what's going on. At the end of the meeting, I'm saying, Cheryl, I'm still going to be here. I'm just going to see my dad after work, but I've got some decisions to make. And then I start breaking down. She starts breaking down. She's like, I tried to hold it together as long as I could. <laughs> and and she says, Lisa, just go. Just just take, I, I'm telling you, this is not an option. You need to go be with your family. Go take care of your father and your mother. And I'm like, I, I think I can do it. And I'm, and she's like, no, this, this is not a choice. I'm telling you, you need to go do this for you. And of course, I knew that in my head. I didn't want to let anybody down. I wanted to be strong. I wanted to be here and present um, for my team and for her because nothing had happened yet. Um, and she had the wisdom 
to know I needed to be somewhere else than here. And so I appreciated that. So I went, kept her updated. It wasn't, I think, a day later, Cheryl, that I said a feeding tube's going in. This is not looking good. Um, and I'm going to have to make a decision. I got to get my mom there. And I don't know how long I'm going to be out. And her exact words, and I remember it, she said, I don't care how long you need to be out. You take as long as you need to. We've got it covered here. I will let your team know. Um, and to have those words from your city manager's office, I can't express the impact that had because I first, I know her and trust her. But secondly, it relieved this pressure of, I need to be there for the city. And it also reassured me that I've got a leader that knows what I'm going through and will take care of my team because it's not about me. It's about them in that moment while I'm also the family matriarch of all my kids, grandkids that love their grandfather. And I'm having to tell each one of them personally what we're about to do, which is go to hospice and he's going to pass. It's it's inevitable. So um, all that to be said, we I have to make that decision. I have to get, it takes me three days to get my mom there. I tell all the kids and the family. Um, and then we're going through hospice, which I've never been. And I'm there around the clock with him. Um, we get to hospice, which I've never experienced. And I get a call from Cheryl saying, I want to bring you something. And I've sa I said, you know, here's the address, Cheryl. I'll, I'll, I should be here. Um, and this leader who is super busy in my life brings a care package for my family and me that is full of just snacks and salsa that I love. I love chips and salsa and she knows it. So she brings me chips and salsa and magazines and just filled with kindness. It's just a bag of kindness that didn't have anything else but love, you know, just saying, I don't know what you need, but here's food because you need nourishment of all things and you need rest. And she came uh, and she, of course, the kind Cheryl, y'all don't know her, but I do. She came, always looks phenomenal by the <laughs> by the way, and I'm like, haven't showered in a day and a half, but mm -hmm. that aside, she comes in and I've got the whole family there. She says, Lisa, I don't need to come in. I don't need, I said, no, I want you. I want you to come in. First of all, the good news through the tears is she had not met Dawn yet. And Dawn's no. amazing oh, in my no, life. <laughs> I know. And I, and I said, Cheryl, look, he's real. Father. Yeah, he's here. And she goes, he's real. I said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so she, and through the tears and through the sadness, she and Don have an appreciation for one another through my eyes, um, sharing with both of them. She got to meet Don and talk, talk with my family. Who's amazing and experience just a little bit of my life, um, in that moment and just bring kindness. And I'm sure it could have been uncomfortable for her because she didn't know anybody, but she's around my grandkids and my kids and their grandfather and my mom, and she got to experience just a little bit of the blessed life that I have in my family. And so all that long story to be said, that is what a compassionate leader in my mind looks like. And the value you cannot place on it if you do it well. Um, it's so critical in an organization to have a culture established of support like that. Because I was off, um, I believe, the entire next week. I was going to come back after we made the decision on my dad. And she said, Lisa, you've, you've got time. And I said, but I'm not really 
grieving anymore. I'm just trying to support my family. And she said, you've taken care of your mom after the death for three days. Now you need to take care of you. Go to Oklahoma, go fish. I don't care. You've got 2,500 hours of sick leave. Use some, (laughs) you know? And so I told her I appreciated that. And I took advantage of it. I didn't argue because I really needed just time for myself after I had exhausted and depleted myself, taking care of my entire family and trying to help make sure my kids were okay because they were devastated um, that they'd lost their grandfather. They were so close to my mom. They'd been married 61 years this month in September. Uh, She lost her life partner. She had just moved into the facility so she could eat lunch, breakfast, and dinner with him every day. And he's gone now. So what she believed to be true is stripped away. So um, I haven't, uh, I don't know if I've said it enough, Cheryl, but just thank you for being the leader that you are to support me through life. Um, I appreciate it. That's all. That was my long story. And now I'll turn (laughs) it over. (laughs) Yeah. Well, now that we're all speechless, um, you know, a few things. I started out talking about high performance and uh, I know that I know it's, it's common culture for everything to be equal and things aren't equal. They just aren't. And in many cases, in my opinion, as a person that's horribly focused on higher human performance, especially in the workplace, um, you're extended that grace and it's not it's not because the city wouldn't extend that to anybody and everybody however the caveat i'm a marginal player and i'm not i'm not gonna own anything any any problem that is created by me i'm gonna deflect and i'm gonna blame somebody else Uh, i'm not gonna be extended nor should I be, in my opinion, the level of grace that you were. You're a proven As a marginal, qu- if you're a marginal performer. Correct. Yeah. You're you're a yeah. proven you're a proven performer. And if people have a problem with that, then you just need to build a bridge and get over it because this is on you. You know, part of this podcast, a big part of this podcast, grow great. That that verb grow, that's on you. Yes, you need to be in a place where you can. Yes, you need to be. We just recorded an episode where, you know, I, I was encouraging people, pick your boss. Mm-hmm. Pick your boss. Work work for a good boss. You know, don't just, especially if you're starting out a career, don't just get the biggest compensation package you can and a crummy boss. Get a compensation package you can live with and then work for a great boss. Make sacrifices if you have to, to work for a great boss, because that's, that's where the growth is, but the growth is on you. So the fact that you, you did these things. And for me, the overarching thing is the two of you are who you are. And I think there's, I don't know. I think there's a lesson there. You are who you are at work. You are who you are at home. I know both of you well enough to know that that's, the case. It doesn't change. No. And yeah. And for us to say, well, here's the context at work and then here's the context at home and here's the context in these other areas. We've said it probably, the audience is probably sick of it. You know, be a good human. Mm-hmm. So much of leadership just begins with being a good human. Yeah. And uh I'll let Cheryl pick up the mic and 
Well, you know, I think one of the things getting back to Lisa's case and 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 unfortunately at work, we lately have had a lot of folks that are dealing with, um, you know, some some different adversarial issues, whether it's death or, um, you know, just just things that are going on. And I think one of the, the biggest things that you really need to do as a leader is, is you know, we sh- you should know your folks, know your people. And uh, Lisa will know, and and I, I do this a lot with folks. I look at the cross when I'm meeting with them. I'm like, okay, you're not on today. What's going on? And sometimes you have to have those personal conversations with people. You have to get into get into where their mindset is because we, when you walk in the door every day, it is just so hard to leave it at the door. I know we tell people to do that, leave it at the door, and a lot of times we do, but sometimes you just can't, and sometimes you have to let people vent. Sometimes you need to listen and you need to see where people are so you can help them. Because when you do that, you show that compassion. I think what you do is you gain their more of their trust. And then what are they going to do? They're going to do more for you in the organization. I mean, Lisa's a person, everybody that works for me, they are folks that really care about this organization. There's not anybody that works uh, with me that I think is ever going to try to take advantage of it. When they need something and they ask for something, I'm going to give it to them because I know they need it. Um, for those people who are not performers, like you said, Randy, those are folks that I would probably question that. There are people that do take advantage of that. And we all know who those folks are, but that's not what this discussion is about today. This discussion is about how as a leader, how how important it is as part of that leadership recipe is to continue to show that compassion for others and really let other people know. And be, you know, one of the hardest things as a leader, I really had to uh, learn was to allow myself to be a little vulnerable with my staff, with people around me. Because when I kind of started out being a leader, I, I kind of felt I had to have this this face to where, you know, I can handle everything. Well, when you do that, sometimes people don't think you're compassionate. They don't think you care. And you get so much more from people when you give back. The more you give, the more you get back. And I think that's one of the most important things. And that's what I, I, I try to make sure that I do every day. And and, you know, it, it breaks my heart what Lisa had to go through. Um, uh, she's had some difficult things, but let me just tell you, she cares about the work. She's also, you know, talking about a high performance. She has also trained up her staff to where, you know what, if she needs to step out and take care of something, I don't worry about anything because I know she's got it taken care of. So she can have all the time that she needs because, you know, um, mental healing is so important too. at the end. When Lisa, after everything kind of happened, I could tell one thing that Lisa needed to do is she needed time for herself. And a lot of times what happens is we 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 check the boxes because we know we have to do all these things, but we also don't allow people to have that 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 mental healing that they need just to kind of recover. And as a leader, I think that's one of the important things is understanding your people and understanding when that needs to occur. What do you think, Cheryl? Are the, are the impediments? Why don't why don't why is this why is this abnormal? Why why isn't this just commonplace? Because you and I both know it's not. Right. Well, I think a lot of it has to do. Number one, I do think it has a lot to do with your culture. But I think everybody's so worried about. Oh my gosh, uh, we have to get all this stuff done, and we have to be completely, you know, one hundred percent professional all the time. And and, and when you're dealing with these type of issues is not being professional, but I think we're also afraid. I think part of it is people don't want to 
they, they, they just put up the wall and they don't want to let anybody in. And, and what I mean by that is, is that they try to ignore it too, that there's other stuff going on, that they're just in a tunnel vision and, and life is not about, you know, the, the, the silo. There's so many other things that all, all around it and it's, it's messy. Right. And, and I think at work, we try to make everything so sterile and it's not sterile, it's messy. And, and I, and I think that if you are able to figure out how to weave those together, you can create a great culture because a caring culture means so much when you, when you, when, you know, when you show that you care about somebody, they will give back to you twofold and showing that compassion, showing, Hey, we're all here for you. Um, you know, when, it, when, cause at some point in time, I'm going to be where Lisa's at. I'm going to need that compassion. I'm going to need somebody. So just remember it's, it's also reciprocated at some point, because at some point in my life, I'm going to need exactly what Lisa's going through. I'm going to be going through that at some point in time as well. What so, impact, what impact when she at the director's meeting, when she divulged this to everybody, and it and it got kind of emotional for both of you. And I would I would assume it probably got emotional for some other people in the room. Oh, very much so. What impact do you think that had on that on the leadership team there in the city? Well, you know, one of the the key things is I think it brought us together um, uh, much more because I think what happens is you see everybody as a human. They're just not a um, we're not all bots, you know, we're not all little robots just doing our, our job. We're all human. And everybody was able to really come together to say, okay, Lisa, you need, you need us. We're here for you. And I think again, it just brought everybody together and it was a great special moment because we had another person um, uh, also share that her father, I mean, her, her mother had just passed. And then I've got a couple other employees, their, their parents have also passed. And so um, that were in the room as well. And so it was a great sharing experience because it lets everybody know that what you're going through, we don't understand what you're going through, but there are other people who can who can can also under, try to understand maybe in a different way what you're going through as well. I think well, it was also, Cheryl, don't you think um, it it not only allowed us to connect with and realize that life is happening when you don't know it, when we walked in that room, that life is happening for people. But also I feel when they share, like we had another director who's, who's going through cancer um, that had shared that with the group. And we're all trying to lift that individual up um, through the trial. Um, and so that had been shared, but through so much of this, it helps us not only connect, but my words to them were, I'm not at my best right now. And so if I'm just a little off and you need something from me, I just want you to know what's going on in the background. I'm trying to do the best I can, but this is heavy on my heart and my mind is not as clearly focused as I am usually. So I think, it, you know, when we talk about knowledge creates understanding, it just put them in a place to understand what is going on in my world outside of work that can impact work. Mm -hmm. unintentionally, as much as I try not to let it, if I'm not at my best or if I have a moment when they're in my office, they'll know kind of, okay, I understand why I understand what's going on right now. And it, it just, it just, I think it, it just creates a better team, uh, mm -hmm. uh, even as directors. Well, I didn't mean to interrupt I, you. 
I would agree. I think creating the team is um I, I think that's that 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 element that really helps solidify the team because once you get to know each other, you start trusting each other more. And by being, I mentioned earlier about being vulnerable, what you did and what the, that other employee did, they put that vulnerability out there. And that's tough for a lot of people to do. A lot of people do not like to share anything. They keep everything inside and sharing and being vulnerable is, is, is hard. And when people don't accept it, that's when people go back. But this group, what did they do? They embraced it. That's right. That's one of the things I'm so proud about this culture that we work in is that people, we embrace each other. We help each other. We know that, you know, several people, when um, one of the other folks uh, passed, several of the directors went to the funeral. They didn't know these, these folks either. That's just showing support. That's just showing compassion. That's just, again, showing how, again, a high-performing organization can can help lead and lead and you can also help lead that other person to um, a better source of comfort well and by not by refusing to i, I would argue i'll word it this way i would argue that lisa's circumstance horrible and awful but at the same time she was able to give a bit of a gift to bill the new mm -hmm. city manager and the people in that room because she was willing to kind of pull the curtain back and say, here's what's going on with me. And their response tells you everything you need to know. Mm -hmm. And I've seen this play out over and over, especially over the last 13, 14 years that I've been doing this kind of work. I've never seen a group fail to respond to the need for compassion. I'm not saying 100%. But you can take 10 strangers and put them in a room and in the, in the proper context, have a conversation and people that don't know each other, you know, can suddenly, you know, be filled with compassion because we all know that we need it. And I think at some deep level, we all crave it. Um, I gave a talk. I gave a talk not long ago at a, at a convention and my wife was going through something. Uh, she was, we were awaiting results on a breast biopsy. Her mother passed away the first year of our marriage. And I had out what I wanted to say and I was good to go. And in the middle of the night, I got an epiphany and I'm like, okay, I'm going to blow this whole thing up and call an audible. And I did. And I just confess it, you know, I don't know. There's a room of hundreds of people and I just told them, here's what's going on. Cause I came up and I had some paper in my hand and I don't ever hit a platform with paper in my hand, but I said, I got a paper in my hand. I don't know if I'm going to look at this or not, but I said, I'm calling an audible and here's why. And you could have heard a pin drop. And I ended it by telling them, you know, within the first 30 to 40 seconds, the whole room had given me compassion. The whole room, and, no, and a few people in that room knew me, but hardly anybody knew me. And so it's kind of fascinating. So I would, I would put forth Lisa's willingness to do that was a gift to Bill. It was a gift to the rest of the team, you know, to give them an opportunity to not only support her, 
but for everybody to kind of grow closer together themselves. I would agree with that completely. Cheryl, I think it's important um, for our audience to understand because, you know, you always think about, at least I do as a leader, when my team's going through something, a teammate, uh, one of the members has shared something privately with me, a struggle, whatever the case is, on how to best serve them. Can you um, share as a leader, when I'm going through all this hospice, I'm exhausted. I've shared with you just briefly during that time. Hey, Cheryl, this is where we're at. I, I can't even remember, honestly, if I texted or called. But how how did you, in your mind, kind of know how to best serve me in that moment? I want the audience to understand. What did you think about? How did you know what to do best? What was in your heart? Kind of help us um with that, because I think it's important for them to know that's sometimes hard to know how to best do it in a time of crisis like that. Well, excuse me. I think uh, one of the, excuse me real quick. She hasn't been screaming, by the way. Yeah, she has not. She has a respiratory infection. And she's, look at her. Look at her. She shows up, even even not yeah. feeling terribly well. Sorry high performers. That. High performers. Yeah, high performers <laughs> to the bitter end. So I think one of the things I had to do really was, um, you know, Lisa, number one, as uh, because we worked together for a while, I know who you are. But also, I think one of the key things I did is I put myself in your place. And I thought about how would I want somebody to treat me in this? Because, um, number one, I knew that you needed some time to deal with it. And you also needed to feel comfortable that you had the time to deal with it. And that was one of the other things that I wanted you to know. Everything's fine here. Don't worry about it. Everything's taken care of. And, um, you know, I think, <coughs> so apologize. I think that was one of the biggest things for me is just to really put myself in your place. And, um, and I think, I hope that that is what she needed at the time. It was. Yeah, but you began, Cheryl, by talking about knowing knowing our people. And I, I think that's, I don't know that we can overemphasize that because I think there's so many people listening to us, so many bosses. And you've not gone to the trouble to know your people. And it's, it's a, in, in my view, it's a horrible leadership mistake to not get to know your people or to believe that, it's better off. There needs to be this professional distance. There needs to be this Heisman pose where you keep everybody uh, in your team at arm's length. I've just, I've never seen a high performing group that works that way. Um, and I, I don't know fully why leaders are bent that way or bosses are bent that way, whether it's for protection uh, or, or whatever. We're not family at work. I would never propose to people that we are some people. It can be more that way than for others, but it still doesn't mean that we can't be compassionate toward each other. The leadership recipe, Lisa, for those that maybe this may be the first episode they've ever listened to just kind of, kind of recount that the leadership recipe that we talk about so often so that people have some context of this conversation as it relates to that that ultimate thing that we're chasing, which is compassion. 
That's right. So we've talked in the leadership recipe, and for those new to the podcast or just listening in for the first time, we have several episodes that not only summarize it, but that dig into each ingredient in that recipe. But basically, uh, it's a five-ingredient recipe that we speak about, and it talks about leadership first with the foundation being humility, having the humility to know you're not the smartest person in the room. Um, then um, through humility, you have curiosity, which is asking better questions to get better answers rather than telling people the answer, telling them what they need to do. Um, you learn to ask questions to gain knowledge, which is the third ingredient. Um, once you've gained knowledge, it le- helps you gain understanding, which is the fourth ingredient, understanding through all, once you've gained through those steps that can be simultaneous, they can be weeks apart, they can be in the same conversation. Um, it leads you to compassion with compassion being kind of the pivotal moment where uh, great leadership, I think, flourishes. And this is a great example of that through those moments. Um, if you do those items well, we've talked about some heavier than others are needed in different moments. Obviously, in this moment, it's a great example. Um, Cheryl didn't. She wasn't curious. She didn't ask a lot of questions at the time. That wouldn't have been good in the moment because I wasn't prepared to answer them. But she did have the knowledge of what I was going through. She understood it. You heard her say she applied it and put herself in my shoes. And then through that, guided her on her compassion towards me and towards my team. She took care of my team in my absence. They took care of themselves. We have great leaders But she said, I will communicate with your team. I will let them know everything. I will make sure they're taken care of. Um, And that is just those five ingredients. If you do them well, this this conversation and this uh, chat today is a great example. When you do those well and they come naturally to you by practicing them over time, it, it shows you the impact and the influence that can have uh, as a leader, uh, my team gave me that same gift. They served back. They served up in that moment. And that's also critical because I've served them along the way and led with the exact same philosophy. Um, when you do that, it's so much easier to give back because you have gifted them as well along the way and they've experienced it. They know what it feels like to experience compassion and they provided it back without question. There was no judgment. There was no, she's just taking a week off of work. She doesn't, why does she need a week? None of that happened. It was, please take the time that you need. Cheryl saying, take the time that you need. Um, And I think that's what's critical here and what the leadership recipe is all about. And we've defined here at Grow Great, we have defined leadership as influence, a focus on others and doing for others what they can't do for themselves. And at the risk of embarrassing her. I mean, Cheryl did all of the above. She did all of the above. And she did it because she had an ability and a, and a knowledge of who you are and enough understanding of your situation, even though if she may not have personally gone through it yet. But the human mind has this great capacity to imagine what it would be like when we do have to face it. Yeah. And so it's not that you were incapable. It's not that you were helpless or hopeless. But in that circumstance, she could do some things for you that you just simply couldn't do for yourself. Yes. And she and, did it. And I would tell you, um, 
Cheryl would have to speak to it more, but you know, this, the simple, I call it the, the, the love package to the care package that she brought um, with all the food. I have to think she knows me because one of my failure, great failures is the eating. I mean, eating and drinking and nourishing myself. I get so locked in every day that I'll go all day without eating sometimes all day without drinking water. And the fact that not only did she say, Lisa, this is for you. I mean, guys, she brought a huge sack of stuff, just raw nuts. And she knows I'm trying to be health conscious. It was like <laughs> raw nuts, chips and salsa is not healthy, but it was delicious. <laughs> um, so she brought, and she just brought magazines just to keep my mind busy on something. Cause she knew I was there around the clock. I mean, I was staying up pretty much 22 out of 24 hours a day because I didn't want to miss a moment of my dad passing by himself. Right. Where, because I didn't know the progress, although the nurses are helping me, they only came in every two hours. So just the gift of nourishment, not only enough for me, she served my entire family. Cause I think Cheryl, if I recall, uh, I was pretty tired, but it seems like you got there when our room was pretty full of my family. Yeah. I got to meet a lot of your family. So thank you for, you know, thank you for allow allowing me to um, share part of your life. Yeah. Um, that, that was, that was a blessing that I had. And, and, um, you know, when I put that together, <clears throat> you know, I, again, I wanted to give you things that I thought that, that your family and you would need. Right. Um, because, you know, when you get up there, you, you don't, don't think of those things. I mean, it's, you know, it's the extra toothbrushes, it's the toothpaste, it's all. That's that right. Else. You brought that and I had forgotten mine. I was like, oh yeah. my God, I got a toothbrush, you know? <laughs> I just, but, you know, because when you, when you go through those things, you don't think about those. So I was just trying to be thoughtful and think of what are some things that you would need because you're not in the mode right now. Right. At that time, none of your family are in that mode of here's what I need to do. You're in a different mode. Right. So I wanted to try to help as much as I could. But again, I thank you for allowing me to meet your family and share that special moment. Um, got to meet your dad, got to meet your parents. And that would that that will always be uh, something in my heart that um, uh, I, I'm so thankful for. So thank you for allowing me. And to you got to meet Don. I did. And you realize he is a real person. I'm not faking real person. it. I talk to him on the phone a lot, but I never get to talk to him and meet him. So I was so excited. And I think that were, were my granddaughters there? I don't remember. Yes, they were. Uh -huh. Okay. Yes. So I, I, I was thinking they were just fascinated with Cheryl. And it's so funny, you know, as we talk about the serious part of this, but I remember Don afterwards, he goes, well, Cheryl's just a little petite thing. I thought she was like six, two. She's this confident <laughs> woman. <laughs> he goes, she's just a little tiny thing. And I said, she is. And he goes, yeah, I just had in my mind. She's like six, two, this strong, I'm going to take on the world. And I said, well, she is, well, that she is. She's just not six, two. <laughs> <laughs> Right. You know, it's funny how people envision in their mind from your voice and that he right. only sees her head like now, uh, your head up. So he's thinking, because I swore she was like six two. And, <laughs> and so uh anyway, it was we just kind of laughed about that. But but yes, it's um, you know, the gift of um being a compassionate leader to wrap all this up is just uh man, if 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 you're a listener and your organization is not here and you have the ability to influence that have a discussion, see what you can do different. Maybe ask your employees, are we doing this well? It is so easy. And I've been in environments like that. I've even had teams in the past like that, that there's judgment instead of compassion. 
And um, judgment destroys all. I can tell you that if you're judging people for having taken off, if Cheryl had said, Lisa, I'm not sure why you need more than three days. Uh, that's plenty of time to grieve. It would have been a whole different experience for me. Um, and through knowing me, she knows I put in so many hours for this city day in and day out. I didn't expect it. I didn't expect her to say, take the time off. I was trying to balance it to be a good human and a good employee. Um, but in that moment, she knew to really tell me and not ask. She just said, I need, you need to take off, go do whatever you need to do, but you need to take off for you. You've been taking care of your family for seven days now. So go, she goes, I don't care what you do. Cause I said, oh, it's not really bereavement leave. And I, I'm not sure. And she goes, Lisa, we'll worry about the coding later. But you know, in my mind, I'm still processing. I need to be a good employee. I need to do the right thing. Um, and she I, and recognized think, that. Lisa, one thing I do, and Lisa, Renny, I think sometimes as a leader, you do, as Tom Hart used to say, you kind of sometimes when, when employees get into this kind of situation, sometimes you need to be in tell mode because yes. sometimes they are so worried about, I, I got to take care of work. I got to take care of work. They need to take care of themselves. Yeah. And what you needed, Lisa, was time to take care of yourself, to take yes. care of your family. And, um, and I thought that was the most important thing. That's why I, I told you to please uh, take the time you needed. Yeah. Because that way, when you come back, guess what? You come back and you're, you have a friend, your, your mind. I was reset. Yeah. You're, you're, you haven't forgotten about what happened and you never will. Okay. But you were able to come back with that nice frame of mind. Yes. And I can tell you from experience, those last, it was two days. So it was Thursday and Friday. Thursday, we were intent. We had to. We had an appointment to babysit the grand girls, um, because so they could go um, to a, a life group for church that they had just started, and we wanted that time. And I told them, I said, you know, Brandon and Carissa, I might be emotional. I don't want to scare the girls because they're they're basically eighteen months and three and a half. Um, I said, no, but geez. I may be emotional, but I needed them. Yeah, and and so they said, no, you just be you, just be just be Lily and and be you and explain it to them because it's life. And I want them to experience, they need to know when somebody's sad and they need to so, know when they need to love on you. And we did that. And the next day I said, I'm just going to Oklahoma. And I told Don, you know, just take me there. And I just need peace. I just need quiet. And I don't think we said hardly anything, not because we couldn't. He just went and he got everything for me. He got fish so I could minnows so I could fish. He set up my chair out there. He brought me coffee and he said, you do you. If you need me, I'm right here. And we literally just sat and fished and didn't say a word. And I don't think I caught anything. I cried in moments. I had coffee. I had uh, a drink in the evening and just sat there quietly. Um, we held hands on the couch for probably six hours on Sunday. And he said, are you ready to leave? And I said, no, I'm not ready. Let's leave when I'm ready. And we left about two, we, we usually leave like at, you know, nine in the morning. So I have the day to recover. And I said, I don't, I don't want to leave. Um, so it was interesting by about three that afternoon. And I had gotten coverage for my mom because that may be a question in people's minds. of what about your mom? She's the one who lost her husband. I had friends taking care of her. I had set that up to people every day to have lunch with her, get her out of the assisted living because the weekends are quiet for them. So she would miss him the most. And I knew that, but by Sunday I was good. I mean, I can tell you those two days made an entire difference in my approach Monday morning because my mind was at peace. I think I told Cheryl, I slept 
equivalent to like three full days. Cause I had been up, I'd only been getting two or three hours of sleep a, a night for oats for seven days. Cause I didn't want to not be by his side. Cause my mom didn't have the physical strength to do it. Those two days made all the difference in the world from a husband who knows me and gave me quiet peace and just took care of me with whatever I needed um, to Cheryl, you having compassion and Randy as a coach, he could have easily said, let her be, but he checked on me. He, he gave compassion as a leader and a coach and a friend just to say, thinking of you, hope you're okay. I mean, he didn't say let's talk. He didn't try to overreach or overstep. He just is basically, I'm here if you need me. Um, and all to each of you, thank you for being part of my life and, and helping me through what a difficult, difficult, probably the hardest decisions I had to make to end my father's life by choice rather than letting him live it in a hospital bed with a feeding tube and unconscious, which we could have done, but we chose different. So I thank you for the grace you offered and afforded me. Um, it made a difference. We all are craving encouragement and we're all craving compassion. And so those of you listening, hope that you got, hope you got something from this, some insights and, and maybe it, it'll have an impact on the way that you decide to lead. And again, we're not defining leadership as a, as a official role necessarily. Uh, it's great when the boss is the leader, because then you've got power and authority and you can knock down roadblocks and make things easier for the team. But if that's not your situation, you can still be a leader, implement these leadership recipes. We appreciate you listening and want you to grow great. Thanks for watching and listening to Grow Great, a city government leadership podcast. For Lisa Norris, I'm Randy Cantrell. Be well, do good, grow great. The website is growgreat.com.